Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yonk, huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. Uh-oh. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with my co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein's here in studio again, as he always is. Jonah Bronstein, of course, from uh, Bronstein Consolidated. Bobby Rosati diddle in the knobs. And... The person whom you're trying to reach is currently unavailable. What was that? What's that sound? That was me. I'm unavailable. Oh. For comment right Bobby Rosati's unavailable. Yeah. I see. <laughs> Not funny. Always available for comment. And for the next two hours, he'll be sitting in here with us to give us his latest thoughts on the Sabres coaching search, what's going on throughout the organization. You know him on Twitter as at Sabres Prospects. Daddy Bakes, Chris Baker's in studio. Thanks for coming in, man. Thanks for having me. I thought you wanted to talk about the Masters. We will talk about the Masters. At okay. least you'll talk about the Masters. I'll just sit back and imagine that I know what you're talking about. But we can talk about Sabres stuff. For sure. Yeah. We have to. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Excuse me, Jack Nicholas is on the tee. Quiet, please. Is he? This is, a, this, this, is this is ceremonial, right? This no, this is the par three contest, which oh. Jack and Gary Player playing. Oh, this was the thing where uh, his grandson hit the hole in one a couple yes, of years and ago. Yes, and I think he himself hit a hole in one a couple of years ago. That shot was actually not bad. Well, Within that's about neat. six feet of the pen. That's neat. Anyways, <laughs> what's going on with uh, what's going on with your sabers, Chris Baker? His sabers. Well, you know, another year where the season ends early. Playoffs start tonight, by the way, for general hockey fans. General fans of the NHL. This but, is where uh, it's fun, man. This is where the money is made. Actually, they don't get paychecks. We're but playing out of character. That's right. This is where they say the top six gets you into the playoffs and the bottom six wins you a playoff series. We're going to see if that holds true. Gonna, a couple good ones on the slate. but 200-foot hockey. 200-foot hockey. That's right. Dump and chase. Anyways, um, Sabres, where it's like uh, Groundhog Day, really. State of flux. Couple rumors, uh, things going on behind the bench, maybe. A new a guy who's in town watching his son play at the Frozen Four could potentially be the next coach. And he's supposed to meet with the Sabres, according to reports that are out there. Todd McClellan, mm-hmm. uh, who also, uh, there's a report today that he's close to signing a deal with the LA Kings. Uh, and some of the heavy hitters, the big guns in the media, came back to say, wait, 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 not so fast. We're hearing that Buffalo is still very much in this. He's in town. He's going to meet with the Sabres while he's here for the Frozen Four. And, uh, yeah, so Todd McClellan is a name that wasn't really mentioned. People were giving their uh, their handicap sheets of who the next Sabres coach might be if the Sabres were to fire Phil Housley. Todd McClellan was not on anybody's list, really. I think people forgot he was available. I think so. But, I mean, he's a, you know he's, a, he's had success. So, I mean, I look at what the Sabres need in a coach, and I know there's all these other things going on, draft lottery and Rochester, but I think the coach is the big story right now because that's probably where the news is going to break the quickest. You know, with McClellan, his, his guys that have played for him 
actually like him. And I think that Jason Botterill's got to get someone in here that can run a team, can run a staff from top to bottom. But really what you look at it, because he's going to say all the right things, like, oh, I need a guy that can communicate, and I need a guy, you know what I mean? Like, they're always going to say that. That's such a cliche. But I think that when you're talking to this, you're dealing with this younger generation, you actually need to have a guy that can listen to his players. Like, if you've dealt in business with the younger workforce— Anti-Dan Bilesma. Anti-Dan Bilesma. That's a great way of putting it. But these, the younger generation, whether the millennials or the whatever we're calling the generation after the millennials, like they want to be heard. They want a voice. And you almost have to create that situation where they at least feel like they're being heard. I think that's going to be the most important trait that Botterill's going to have to figure out of all these candidates. Who has that ability to not only run a staff, but also listen to his players and make them feel like they're being heard. Where Todd McClellan is interesting for me, Chris appealing to me is he knows what it's supposed to look like. Did, did Ron Ralston really know what uh, it's supposed to look like when your organization is going great? Is, does Ted Nolan really, even when Ted Nolan has had success, it's been almost, it's been overachieving status. Todd McClellan, uh, and and we could say the same for Phil Housley too, because Phil Housley, he's always been on the developmental side, comes in, obviously has some success with the Nashville Predators, but as an assistant, it's different between being a part of a group and running a group. Todd McClellan has run a group with really good players. Now, that's the one thing that we have to be careful of too. If you want to go back and look at Todd McClellan's track record to say, oh, I want that, his San Jose Sharks teams were loaded they had superstars. Mm-hmm. They had future Hall of Famers on those rosters. So let's not say, oh, well, look what Todd McCullen did in San Jose. He should be able to do it here. But I think there is something to be said for he knows what he needs. He knows how to do it. Um, he, he, again, I don't, I don't want to get redundant, but there's something to be said for somebody who's been through the, the has gotten into a rhythm of winning. In the past and knows all the different components necessary. You can be both because there's usually two schools of thought. You can either get the guy that's been there, done that, had success wherever he's been, and he's quote unquote a retread. Or you can get that first time guy that is progressive. You can be both. You can be a progressive retread as long as you stay in touch with the younger coaching styles get with the young college coaches that are USA hockey guys and sure. get what they're doing, figure out what drills they're running. What are they, how are they running their power play? You can be both. How are they instituting the latest thoughts and technologies? No, that's right. Using analytics. Analytics for me, it's not about judging a player and giving them a grade. It's how do you use that information to pre-scout and build your game plan on a night-to-night basis. And you can game plan to your each individual opponent, and, and you can have different game plans. If you play four games in a week, to reduce your margin of error, that's is right. really what analytics is is for. That's right, and that's kind of your background in a professional sense too, right? I mean, you deal with yeah a little bit this stuff. Yeah, you're a numbers guy, but I think that that's important. Like, so you have to kind of you can still be that old school hard guy, you know, tough. Disciplinary. You almost like need to have a little bit of that still. You I don't think need so. to. Not it's not a necessity, coach needs but it's to, helpful. Coach needs to know his audience and speak to them right. how they need to be spoken to and get them to all come together yep. under a common goal. And that's going to be different from room to room too. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But I don't 
I don't hate the idea of McClellan because if you look at all these, there's not a, a lot of really yeah. quality names that to stick out to you. And Vigneault is going to be another one that we talk about. Yeah, uh, Elaine Vigneault, uh, Chris Taylor out of Rochester. You talk about a guy who can listen to younger guys. He's been surrounded by younger guys. I'm sure that there are some things that you look at with Chris Taylor down in Rochester, and there's a lot of things to like. There's some success. There's the sentiment that he's coming up with his players. Um, he's not that far removed from his playing days. So I'm a believer in bringing those guys up with the players. I mean, that's John Cooper and Tampa Bay type of situation. Had a couple years in Norfolk and then up in uh, Syracuse, came up with those guys. Knew them, knew how to talk to them. They were both comfortable. Are you a proponent of Chris Taylor? I like Taylor. I like mm-hmm. Taylor. I don't know if he's at the top of the list. Um, I would like to see Taylor like go really deep in the playoffs this year, and if they don't have a decision made yet on a coach, that he can become a more viable candidate. I also think that he's great where he is in that role for at least another year with a young, kind of another young team, obviously, and a lot of prospects coming in next year, perhaps even more prospects next year on that roster. Can we, I mean, this is Jason Botterill's call, right? Because this was... But that's the question. Better not be Kim and Terry's call. Well, because yeah. when I, I wasn't at the owners' meetings, you were. But when Kim, I think, was asked a question about the uh, the Sabres coaching situation at the time, it was still Phil Housley. I think she said something along the lines of, you know, it's Jason's call, but we'll evaluate the entire situation, which sort of sparked the idea in my mind. Is she evaluating Jason Botterill, and does he have a chance to not be here? Well, somebody has to evaluate Jason Botterill. I, I mean, so. so that's fine. and that's We can get into this discussion a little bit later, and we're going to have Barry Melrose from ESPN. He's going to join us here on the show to talk about this weekend's Frozen Four. I guess I shouldn't say this weekend because the first two games are tomorrow right. night, so it's Thursday, Saturday, uh, down at Key Bank Center. He's in town for the Frozen Four. He's calling the game with John Buchagross, uh, all the games. And uh, we'll, I'm sure, talk about the Sabres uh, coaching situation. Oh, I, I do want to... Hole-in-one for whoever that is. Oh, really? Mike, people can't see this. I wish they could, well, but I don't know who it is. Right, you so can, you're, You can provide context. So you're suggesting that people stop listening to the show and turn I, on their television. I think they should do both. They should about, have the you're, sound You're now. clearly doing both. <laughs> I'm doing a great job of it. But yes, Barry Melrose is in town, and we'll hear from him. <laughs> that is a poor recovery because I was saying that to set up my next point. Okay. So that wasn't. I don't need you to reiterate that Barry Melrose is going to be on the show. Just in case. Uh, uh, what I'm saying is, we'll is that it. we can get into it a little bit later. Right. The concept that the Pagulas need somebody in between Jason Botterill or Brandon Bean, Brandon Bean to run their sports teams. Right. And we've had these discussions over beers before, so I kind of know where everybody stands on this. But uh, there are all kinds of different ways to get into it. Clearly, Jason Bottrell answers to the Pagulas. That's the way ownership works. So, uh, yes, they are evaluating him. But I think that they've given him a long leash, and it's, Jason, this is your team. Do with it what you think is best for the Sabres uh, in our your, our representative. Go out there and hire the coach you want. So I don't think that Terry Pagula is stepping in and saying, I want this guy. I think it's bring our bring your recommendation to us, convince us, and then go do it. And I think that they're easily convinced. So Jason Bottrell, whether it's Elaine Vigneault or Todd McClellan or Chris Taylor or Lindy Ruff is a name that obviously gets mentioned because he is just an assistant right now and he's got a big history with uh, with Buffalo. I'm told, though, 
uh, some people who have talked to Lindy. Now, don't take this as 100% this is how it is because you can always be convinced. But that he enjoys being an assistant coach. That the daily media obligation isn't there. Uh, all the different things and the stressors that go on with being the head coach of a team. He's there to instruct and motivate and do all those things at obviously a much smaller paycheck, but he's okay with that. He loves being at the game, being around the game, and doing his thing without the stress that goes along with it. When practice is over, he can get in his car and leave. He doesn't have a media obligation or have to go to some sponsor event or do all these other things that uh, the head coach has to do, go on MSG or whatever television show he's obligated to. So anyway, I think it may take some convincing to get Lindy Ruff back as your head coach if you are someone out there listening who thinks, man, I just really want Lindy to come back. Um, look, uh, Lindy had his shortcomings, but he has been he's – the, he's the best coach in Sabres history, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he had more success in like Scotty Bowman. Right. Had Scotty Bowman was, was the coach yeah. of the Sabres for a bit. Yeah. And he is the greatest coach of all time in any sport, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. But while he was with the Sabres, he yeah. was pretty nondescript. I mean, if you threw a bucket of cash at Lindy, you know, like a Quinville type of contract, rumored to make six million bucks a year to coach a hockey team, you got to keep in mind a lot of the assistants, they're the ones doing the grunt work usually. Doing all the the video breakdowns with the video coach and doing a lot of the analytical stuff if they're into that. You know, a lot of those assistants will do a lot of that stuff, too. He must have a pretty good setup if he's kind of got a cushy assistant job. But if you threw a lot of money at him and you retained a guy like Steve Smith, because Lindy, in my opinion, can't coach defense. Like, he can kind of motivate guys and give them the right message and, like, massage those guys that need to be massaged and things like that. Not massage, massage, okay? Right. But um, <clears throat> I think, like, he would be a... We're not talking yeah. Mike McCarthy massage. Hey. Or... No. Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft oh, massage. Yeah, no. Definitely not. I w- definitely wasn't talking about the Robert Kraft massage. But I think that he might be compelled to take a head coaching job if the money was right. And he would probably have the same, you know, type of duties. But I, I, know, I know where you're going with that because it is a lot more cushy yes. at that stage of his career to not have to manage, really... The media obligations, talking to Mike Harrington after every practice and game. I mean, <laughs> come on, you know, that right there, that might drive his price up to $8 million. <laughs> Well, it's an interesting guy to talk about, though, because he is available. Um, who else is not? What, what other uh, What other outside-the-box candidates well, can, can you think of? I won't be the homer to say it, but I think Daddy Bakes and I think alike on one name. Yeah, we do. No, I think that... Um, I've, I've, I've been trumpeting uh, Nate Lehman, who is going to be here in Buffalo with Providence College, the Friars, this week, tomorrow. He's here now. <laughs> um, I think that he's a he's at earlier in the discussion, we were talking about the progressive coach that's really relatable to a younger generation. Really good, strong X's and O's guy. His teams have always found ways to get the puck out of the zone quickly, move up ice and back check his five-man units. They play good team defense. He's kind of the that total package in terms of a coaching mind, a young coaching mind, I think he'd be a great one to really look at. Now, if he's ready to make that jump, maybe, you know, but I don't think that he's necessarily ready yet, but I think that he's in terms of coaching prospects, he's a guy that would be, he's an up and comer. He's an up and comer that if he's not being considered by teams will be shortly. We have one right down to Thruway who just did the same thing in David Quinn. And of course, you know, the Rangers were bad this year and he's got the, what, second overall pick last night? Yeah. And that was 
I think the highest they they're going to well, pick in 50 years. The thing about but. Nate Lehman is that when you talk to his former players or even or current ones, even you know, like Boston College, BU, these schools have always developed. They brought guys in that were stars, and they wanted to develop them into NHL players. Nate Lehman develops teams. It's right. not about the next level. It's not about making guys superstars so they can go and succeed when they're done with college. It's about we're together now. We're going to win now, and that's a well, philosophy. That's a mindset. I think that's what this team needs because. There was the philosophy or mindset, to repeat what you just said, but when the Sabres drafted Jack Eichel, there was the idea that he's a generational talent. He's a savior. He's going to be the guy who changes everything. Obviously, it hasn't been the case. And keep in mind that Jack Eichel's last year at BU, who beat him in a national championship, was Nate Lehman's Friars that yeah. year. So, I mean, it's... I think there's something to be said about that, though. Yeah. The philosophy of the coach and not pandering necessarily. I mean, you can still pander, but that team How interchangeable mindset. is that? <clears throat> team mindset, I understand it when it comes to a college program when guys come through every three or four years and you have to make them fit your pro. It's easier to get guys to fit your program than it is uh, vice versa. You know, the, the cha- so you, And you don't need to constantly change it. But we see it with whether it was Phil Housley or anybody, you need to sometimes coach to your team's strength and not make them fit a certain system. I don't think the Sabres were unsuccessful And it's going to take a while to find, you know, you're going to have to get rid of the guys who don't fit into the system and phase them out, which is difficult to do in the National Hockey League with all these guaranteed contracts um, without having to pay a price of uh, hitting the reset button yet again. Right, and I think, again, we'll have the discussion later, but... It depends on where is Jason Botterill. Well, a, where is he? Is he employed by the team or not? But where is he mentally with the team? Is it something where you want a guy like McClellan who's been around the block and you want to win now and you want to say, we need to get back to the playoffs and get this thing back on track as quickly as possible? Or do you go the route of a Nate Lehman or somebody who you think you can build more long-term for and maybe there's going to be more changes you know, personnel-wise in the roster? I think that's question I'll have to answer as well but again that probably goes all the way up the chain and, and would include Botterill as well. What about Ricard Gronberg and he's uh, out of Sweden and he would be the first European hire as a head coach since I believe Ivan Halinka mm-hmm. with the Penguins back in the early 2000s uh, and to mix success Halinka did well I think that every, he was a decent coach but there were communication issues and I'm not talking about not being transparent, or it was like no, speaking English. Yeah, it was <laughs> type, it was basic communication issues. issues. Now yeah. I don't know or, or profess to to guess uh, that uh, Ricard Gronberg and how well he speaks English, but I think that in countries uh, like Sweden and and Finland, I think that there's a little bit more of a fluency there than in the Czech Republic when it comes to English. Oh, they speak great English over there. Every Swede that I've ever come across, they they speak it better than I do, and I think that with. You know, with the Swedes, I think that that game is a, um, it kind of matches up with what, at least the Swedish national team program that Gronberg's been, you know, spearheading, they kind of match up their style with what Botterill's been telling the press that he wants to play. Up-tempo and a focus on skill. And that's what the Swedes, that's what's really made them uh, successful on the international level for so many years. And, you know, I can see it happening. I mean, he kind of fits in more of that progressive bucket. Um 
And it's a really it'd be a super progressive hire for the reasons that you just mentioned. I mean, it's a rarity that you get a, a guy who hasn't been on this continent for many years. He does have a little bit of history in North America as a player. But, I mean, professionally, he's been over there. Um, I, I could see the appeal. It would certainly be like this super, you know, hockey hipster hire to bring in this guy with, you know what I mean, the beard and like the whole deal. Like he's got that look and he's got this intimidating look and everything and he's fresh. Like it doesn't get any fresher than bringing a guy who hasn't been living on this continent. Um, at the end of the day, we've spent about 20 minutes talking about the coach and it doesn't matter if the players don't do it themselves. Like the players just got to do it. You know what I mean? Like that's really what it comes down to for me. It's like even if they kept Housley and continuity, which I think that is also important to a certain level, well, like the players got to figure it out. I don't, no, I don't know that that's overrated. <clears throat> I disagree, Mike. I think there are different. It depends on the circumstance, and I don't think continuity was overrated in this in in this sense. How many times can you? allow the players to run off a coach are you just going to keep changing the coach until you get one right and people say yeah absolutely but that's like that's the definition of insanity right at some point somebody needs to lay down the law and tell the players look that's my point (laughs) You're, you're saying that continuity is required with the players or not sorry required with the coaching staff but not required with the players you need to say to the players we need to make a change among them because they're doing the same thing over and over again so to me it's like wait you can change the coach yes that's good I don't think you should just keep your coach for the sake of continuity but I think you should change your players too it's hard to do in the national hockey shaking it up more right but guaranteed money guaranteed look I the idea and this is a wormhole but the idea of trading Jack Eichel is one that does bounce around my mind as crazy as it seems and as much as some people have dismissed it the continuity where it comes down for me is if Jason Botterill were to go into the dressing room one day in March and say look fellas we're not changing the coach so if you think that things are going to be different if it what is what is wrong with you guys right that you can't play for three different coaches we're going to be going on a fourth coach where is it? Where where are you guys? And I don't know that maybe that's happened, and I just haven't heard about it. But that's something that I think would have a little bit more effect in terms of a wake up call than just ch- then bringing in a new coach. Now the next coach might come in and, and say those similar things, but I think there is something to be said for some uh, having it being made a fact that. This is over. This merry-go-round is over. And if you can't, if you don't like it, maybe you want to go play in Rochester. You guys got to mm-hmm. figure it out. You know, do it at the end of the year. You know, right before the exit interviews. And if you have something to say after this conversation that you guys have together, tell me in the exit interview. You know, but I'm with you. I, I mean, Tim, that's kind of my point right now. It's like to a certain extent, I don't care who the coach is if the players can't get it together. And wasn't the whole idea of trading? Evander Kane and Ryan O'Reilly to get rid of that sort of right. mentality. Did you leave a few on accident? I mean, so who's the problem now? If those well, that's guys Tim's are gone, point, though. You can't cut it all out in one fell swoop. Right. It's right. a process. Yep. And, you know, they made they took the path of least resistance by cutting those guys out. All right, we're going to hit a break here. We're going to come back. We're going to have Barry Melrose from ESPN to talk about the Frozen Four and also the Sabres coaching change. Uh, we're going to have more uh, probably – I would say passionate Sabres talk. We all have our opinions in here. Except for Jonah Bronstein. Oh, I really think you're wrong. 
We're going to have to uh, get Jonah in with some um, Magic Johnson talk. Some AAF WNBA. Some yeah, John tonight. Some WrestleMania. Johnson. Hey, that. here's how I didn't. How did Beth Phoenix do? She did not win. I don't know. Becky it, won, right? Becky Lynch? No, well, no, 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 that was a different match. That was oh, the main oh, event. Sorry. But yeah, Beth Phoenix was in the four way death match. Or no, they didn't win. I don't think they were involved with the pin. There were, you know, four teams and a tag team. Death match. Whatever the hell it was. Yeah, somebody had to die. No, the, the match wasn't <laughs> over until there was a death. So there had to be a fatality. Fa- fatal four way. Isn't that what they call it? Yeah. Fatal four way. Sometimes, Sometimes, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, we come back. It's going to be more uh, Mike Rodak, more Chris Baker. Maybe we'll introduce Jonah Bronstein. I'm here. Bobby Rosati running this thing on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I'm sorry, what's your name? And they stay there. Tom. Alright, dude, hang out for one second, I'll get you on. You follow him on Twitter at, at Sabres Prospects. Chris does some work for the Athletic also. Checking on the what's coming up through the ranks with the Sabres. This is a guy who has his finger on the pulse. Of what's going on. All those people that you think, you know what, I'm going to get around to learning about that guy when he gets a little closer to the NHL or while he's down in Rochester, I don't care. Sabres drafted this guy. He's still in college. I'll worry about him in a couple of years. Chris Baker worries about them immediately. Wherever he puts his fingers is none of my business. I don't care if he has him on a pulse or somewhere else. That's that's his own thing. Rodex on fire. Yes, he is. He's on fire today. Hey. He had all these stored up from while he was gone for a couple of he weeks. Did. Right. But on that one one quick one, though, Sabres prospect in town this week with Providence, Jacob Bryson, fourth rounder a couple years ago, defenseman, one to watch if you're watching the game tomorrow night. How good is he? If uh, He's a good skating defenseman, smaller guy, but really good. Good defensively, solid, but he's a you know offensive guy. Moves the puck around. If you guys remember um, Chad Ruedel when he came out of Massachusetts Lowell a couple years ago, that's who Bryson reminds me of. He skates really well. He can get around his own zone, but he can really skate the puck and contribute up ice. All right, kind so of somebody that. you may hear from. I think you will. I think he'll be signed. Right at he's a junior this year, so he could go back next year. I think he'll be signed and in Rochester next year. Can okay. I ask a quick question to Chris? Or are we going to a guest? No. Okay. Go ahead. How, how did you You're get on the start, show. How did you get started with becoming the expert on all the Sabres prospects? I was always into the draft and into Fake the prospect stuff. Um, even when I was a kid, you know, I was always into that stuff. But um, no, I grew up, you know, in a hockey family. Um, I grew up, you know, watching kids that were kind of going through college, or my, you know, brother played in college, uh, had pro aspirations. You just kind of attach yourself to that. When I wanted to get back in the game. After college and, you know, doing whatever, whatever, all the trouble I was getting into in my life, I was like, there was an opportunity there, I think. It was missed. It was a gap in the coverage. You know, you had these kids that were drafted when they were 18. They were property of an NHL team. And you didn't really hear about them until they were 23, 24. So you just kind of set out to kind of fill in that gap. And, you know, the whole thing was just be consistent, you know. Um, be, you know, just be consistent with your message. Just do honest work. And, you know, it's kind of morphed into this other thing now. You know, I'm sitting here with you guys. Talk about Jacob Bryson. 
just the way you intended it. Just how I intended Just how we drew it up, man. <laughs> You're a kid. All right, Tom's on the phone from Illinois. Tom, thanks for calling yeah. in. Yeah, sure. Hey, uh, Tim, uh, I really miss you on TSN because, uh, you know, a couple hours a week is nothing compared to what I used to listen to you, too. And I also have to say I want to personally thank Mike Rodak because when I first saw him, I said, oh, I don't like this guy. I'm never going to learn anything from him. But, boy, Typical. was I wrong about that. Yeah. So thank you, Mike. I, I, like, I like a lot of your work. Awesome. And I just want to say one thing about the guest that's on, or the guy that's on that's not usually on. Chris Baker. He's talking, but okay, uh, I just want to lay this on him. I'm not going to argue with him. Okay, I'm going to hang up and because no, hey, wait, Tom, and, hang on a second now, Tom. Well, I have a kind ahead. of a loose rule. It's not, uh, not right. but I'd like for the callers to stay on. One of my pet peeves okay. is All right. somebody who calls in and does the hang up and listen. I I'd like to have a conversation. If you're if you're up okay, for it, I'm not going to force you. Okay, no, no, fair enough. But all, but my my big point is, I was almost ready to throw up when he's talking about listening to the players. Players want to be led. That's my point. Oh, and what, Tom, your name is Tom. Yeah. Who plays? Yes, who plays the game though that gets the results? Did you listen to the players and all of their postseason breakup day interviews? You know what they said. It's on us. It's on us. Well, what are they going to say? Of course they're going to say that. No, they haven't. When they had stress with their coach, sometimes they intimated that. And I don't okay, believe right. for one second that any of those guys went to Jason Botterill and tried to get Housley fired. I really okay. I don't believe that in this case. And I'm not making a case to keep Housley here. But I think if you're paying a guy who's 23, 24 years old $10 million to play... You better start leading the team and winning games. Rasmus Dahlin's probably going to make $8 million as a 22, 23-year-old in just a short couple of years from now. Let's stop giving the players excuses. These guys need to no, win I'm, games. Okay, all right. well, I didn't pick that up from, from, from the way you were describing the, who, who they should be looking for. And i got to tell you, I, I, I am not a Todd McClellan fan. Mm-hmm. And it's Elaine Zeno, his, his time has come and gone. I don't know who they're going to get. I don't either. I don't either. I don't uh, see a great candidate out there, but I think at some point, my point is, and I agree with you about your statement that, that players want to be led. They need okay. to be led. That, I, think, I agree with you. And I'll that. agree with both of you in that I think players want to be led, and they need, they need a good chunk of that to come from somebody who wears the uniform. Mm-hmm. That's why captains, I think, are so important sure. in hockey, in any sport. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. think that they need the leader by example that guy who is almost a middleman between the dressing room and the coach's office uh, who stands up and says, follow me, uh, yeah. we'll do this together. And sometimes it's even combatives. It's, there have been, yeah. yeah. co- been healthy adversarial relationships. Wasn't with, Chris Drury like that? Well, yeah. Well, Chris I Drury, mean, not like, yeah. you know. Right. But there have been guys who, the, there was guys who played on those Sabres teams in spite of Lindy. They yeah. were going to show him. And that was, Lindy did that on purpose. No, I get Tom's cases, point, but, though. I do about players wanting to be led and so on. Tom, by the way, we made each other puke. I made you puke with my comment, and you made me puke when you said that you liked Rodak. <laughs> but, no, but I, I get what you're saying. No, I do. I get what you're saying, and I, I understand it completely. It's just, Tom, I'm at the point where I just need these guys to start playing better hockey. Just to make sure yeah. that we're, we're all clear here, I, I don't, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Tom, and I, I'm guessing here, did you think that maybe uh, what Chris was saying was that the players should be consulted before hiring the coach? Because uh, that it, I don't think that's what he was saying. 
at all. Okay. That the players no, shouldn't no, be and, consulted, and, but yeah, you need to find a guy who you have to project, all right, are the players going to listen to this guy? As opposed to, yeah. all right, let's sit down with Jack Eichel and Kyle Ocposo and Rasmus Ristolainen and see if they approve of this hire before we hire him. I don't think that's no. that's a case. No, okay. Yeah, that's a good point, Tim. And I may have, this may not be the best example because I do listen to a lot of sports talk radio. And oh, I'm sorry. football might, might be a bad football, no, but I only listen to certain sports talk radio, <laughs> like you guys. Oh, well, okay. Now I'm really sorry. Uh, well, but this, this may not be the best example, but overall, I think there's too much emphasis. And I, and I don't really care because I got to tell you, I, I'm 62. Uh, I don't watch as much sports as I used to, even though I have access to much more than I ever did before. It's, uh, it's, it, I, I just don't get this generation as far as uh, look at me. Uh, you know, they're showing me close ups of some guy's nose hair instead of showing me the outfield configuration. <laughs> right. You know, and that's fine. And, and they don't need me. And that's okay. I don't need them either. Because I got to tell you something about football. I love my weekends. It's twice as long. I just don't watch football anymore. Wow. Yeah, I think the older I get, and I've made this point on the air before, and I make it uh, to people who are in sports and uh, people who are actually in the major leagues, whether it be players or executives. And I make I, I use this phrase a lot. Sports pays my mortgage, just like it pays Brandon Bean's mortgage yeah. and Sean McDermott's mortgage and other people, uh, players, uh, Kyle Williams' mortgage. Um, our houses look a little different, but they pay our mortgage. <laughs> and I'll have a conversation with them, and I'll say, you know, sports just doesn't mean as much to me as it used to. Now, I'm 47. Um, I have kids. I have other interests and all these other things. But I think that even guys who wear the uniform, they realize, you know, like you see them exchanging these uniforms at the end of the game, whereas the fans are still pissed off and want to hate the other team and the other fan base. These guys, as soon as the game's over, it's a game. All right, they're back. Mm-hmm. They, it doesn't mean as much to them as it means sure, to right. some of these deranged fans sometimes. But, yeah, sports, the older I get, the less it matters to me. Mm-hmm. What matters to me are the issues, I think, more than the, the wins and the losses. Yeah. You know, when you want to talk about um, you know, racial equality or the domestic violence, you know, how these guys are held up as heroes and how they can be better or the people who deserve more attention for being doing the right things and don't get it. Um, you know, those are the things that interest me the older I get than, than who wins or loses the game. It's a generational game. gap, and I think that's what Tom's saying. It's like the generational gap of the, the players that we're watching now on these teams is completely different than it was when we were growing up. When I was 20 in my teens, it was a different just atmosphere, player-coach no. atmosphere, to kind of bring it back. Chris, I, yeah, no, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't have any problem with that part of it. Yeah. Okay, how how the game has changed with the players being friendly with the other team. I'm I'm fine with that stuff. But getting back to the coaching thing, listen, I am a big Connor McDavid fan, and I watched a lot of Oilers games the last couple of years. And I got to tell you, this Todd McClellan is not the guy. Okay, now I don't know who is, but let's uh, uh, you know uh, be certain of who isn't. It's not Todd. It's not Elaine Bino, and. Uh, you know, you know the list of the guys who's, who, mm. who, who it's not. So who it's going to be, I'm fascinated by that. But um, 
you've got my overall plan. Listen, hey, I'm looking forward to calling the show again because uh, I, I do. I am interested in the bills. And uh, there's a lot to talk about there. And uh, I love all of the. Sh- I have all of the shows on Facebook about the Beatles. You know, when you guys talk music, it's great, <laughs> great show. And I think you guys are going to be on more than once a week. I'll let you go. Great talking. Thank you, yeah, Tom. Hey, call, Tom, Tom. And thanks for remembering me from TSN. It's been a little bit since oh, I've done yeah, that. that but and I'll tell you this. Uh, this is why I don't like to hang up and listen. We had a conversation. Yeah. We got yeah, into some other right. things. So thanks for. Thanks for sticking around with us, Tom. And thanks for buttering me up. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Mike Rodak. This is a first for him. I assume he wasn't talking about my Sabres knowledge because I certainly don't have much of that. He learned a lot from you. He learned a lot. He learns. Hey, if you follow Mike Rodak at ESPN.com on the Bills, you're going to learn a lot. I love him. I do, too. I love him. (laughs) I'm uncomfortable. Barry Melrose and more when we come back on the Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270. The Fan here with Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Chris Baker's here in studio. Jonah Bronstein. He's been awful quiet today because we've only been talking hockey so far. We'll get around to some basketball, Jonah. All right, you promise? I promise. But not right now. Barry Melrose is in town. ESPN Two is broadcasting the three games of the Frozen Four at Key Bank Center. Providence and Minnesota Duluth at 4 o'clock tomorrow, followed by Denver versus UMass at 7.30. 5 o'clock for the Friars. Well, according to ESPN.com, which is the site you work on, Mike, <laughs> well, <laughs> it says 4 o'clock. Oh, you know what? Maybe it was... Uh, Central time. Yeah, I think maybe it was Central time. Oh, so it would be 7, 5 and 8.30. Yes. Oh. 5 and 8.30. 5 and 8.30. My bust. All right, well, we have somebody here who's going to straighten us out. Barry Melrose joining us. Barry, thanks for uh, carving a couple of minutes out of your day. I know that you're meeting with the teams today in preparation for your Frozen Four telecasts. Uh, how's Buffalo treated you so far? Always. I always uh, enjoy Buffalo. I have a great time here. We went out for wings last night at uh, Gabriel's. Oh, see, now uh, that's a case. veteran move there. That is not Anchor Bar BS. That's Gabriel's Well, I've gate. been to the Anchor Bar many times when I was playing here uh, during the uh, era of the French... Uh, uh, that um, the line with uh, French Connection. Thoreau, French Connection. I played against them. Played in the odd. We always went to Anchor Bar. Uh, had a few beer. Had some wings. Last night we tried a different place, which was very good. Gabriel's had a great time. We had a little bit of a meeting there, and we watched the uh, the draft last night. Uh, a lot of the guys are big hockey fans, so they were wondering uh, if their teams could um, you know jump up and st- jump up and maybe get a better player than they were expecting. So our uh, our director is a Ranger fan, and he was very happy the Rangers were second. Another one of our guys is a Devil fan, and he was charged because the Devil got the first <laughs> pick. So there was a there was a lot of emotions last night, but all in all, it was a great night. We had a few beer, we had a lot of a lot of wings, and I had a great time. A lot of energy 
for a draft lottery, it sounds like right there. It, uh, otherwise, not a, a pretty uh, boring event, but you guys found a way to... Well, only, only if you're uh, not uh, a member of a team that uh, has been bad for a number of years. Those guys are pretty emotional last night. So uh, Ranger fans, Devil fans, obviously Chicago almost climbed up and, and got a, a pick. I think Chicago ends up picking third. That's a great uh, deal for a team that is on a rebuild and, and obviously could be a a team that makes the playoffs again next year with the addition of a, a great young player. So uh, it was a good night. It's uh, Buffalo's a hockey area. It's a hockey city. Uh, it's great to be in a hockey city, and uh, I know we'll have a great time the next few days we're here, no doubt about it. Well, I was going to ask you uh, at the beginning of the interview about the Frozen Four, uh, but I guess I'll reverse it uh, because you just mentioned uh – what the draft lottery is like for teams that haven't been successful in a while, and the Buffalo Sabres certainly are that. They're in uh, in search right now of their next head coach and uh, haven't made the postseason for eight straight seasons. Uh, so, Barry, what is your sense? I mean, just being around, I know that you're not here a lot, but when you get around Sabres fans last night, as I'm sure you were at Gabriel's Gate and wherever else you happen to uh, saunter off to, uh, there's an angst here among Sabres fans, uh, and I was talking about it last week. I'd, I'd had a conversation with Marty Baran, the former goaltender, and when John Regas, the owner, was led away in handcuffs and the team went bankrupt back in 2002, the fans didn't seem to be as agitated as they are now. Um, just being around Buffalo and, and talking to hockey fans, what uh, are you picking up any vibe from, from Western New Yorkers? I think they're uh, uh, they're they're angry. Uh, I think they thought it was going to be a, a turning point last year, especially when they started the season so good with the ten wins and they were first overall in the NHL. I don't think anyone envisioned that team not making the playoffs. I think you know you're not thinking of them winning the cup, but you're certainly not thinking of them missing the playoffs at that moment. And then it was just all downhill from there. Nothing went well. Obviously, the coach got fired uh, the day the season ended. Uh, so uh, it's a very emotional city right now. They they know they're close, uh, but they don't want to wait five more years uh, to be a contender. They want to make the playoffs now, and and I think that was one of the reasons that people are angry and and upset is that uh, you know the progression didn't go the way they thought it would. They thought they would be definitely in the hunt for a playoff spot uh, and maybe make the playoffs. So I, I think that's sort of what's happening in in New York now. They want to see who they hire as a coach. They want to see who they get in the draft, and they'll be a good young player. But, uh, you know, they, they want success now. They've been, they've been a team that's been waiting for success, and um, uh, Mr. Pagula has come in, spent a lot of money uh, fixing the arena up, you know, fixing the area up around the arena. Uh, there's so many positive things going on here, but none of that matters if the team doesn't make the playoffs. So I think that's what everyone's looking for here is, is that final step. Is it the new coach? Is it this young player that's going to be drafted? Uh, you know, everyone in Buffalo wants to see this thing turn around and become a, a powerhouse NHL team again. And, and hockey wants to see that. They want to see the, the, the hockey markets do well. So I, I think everybody that's, uh, you know, doesn't have a dog in the fight, I'm, you know, I'm hoping for Buffalo. I, I know what that city was like years ago when the French Connection were one of the best lines in the NHL. They had a good team. Danny Gare was roaming around. Uh, they had a, you know, they had a really good hockey team here. They went to the fly, uh, finals against the Flyers. You know, we had the, uh, the Brett Hall gate a few years ago uh, with the foot in the crease. Uh, so they, they just want to they just want to get back on the winning track and make the playoffs. So they're hoping this next move, uh, whatever it is, will be the, the move that, that puts them over the top. 
Why do you think things fell apart so dramatically for the Sabres after, as you mentioned, winning 10 straight and then falling out of the playoffs? I, I think uh, maybe they, they thought they were better than what they were. Uh, they, you know, they didn't, uh, the young players got better but didn't, you know, jump the way they thought they would. Uh, you know, some of the older players had off years. Uh, you know, Opoza, who thought Opoza would, you know, not be a 25 to 30 goal scorer. I think most people expected that. Um, but there's a lot of good things too. I'm, I'm always a half full guy, a glass half full guy. And, you know, I, I think Middlestat's a good player. I know he didn't have the year people wanted last year. I thought he would be a, a 20 goal scorer and I, and I think he will be a, a 25 to 35 goal scorer, uh, when he gets going. I, I think Darlene is a real deal. I think he's a great young defenseman. Ryan Hart had a, a good year. He had over 20 goals. That's something positive. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of positive things happening, but now, you know, now that, uh, they want to see who the next coach is and who's going to be, you know, uh, you know, bringing the ships into harbor and and uh, getting them to be a winning team again. But there, a lot of things. I, I think they forgot why they were winning at the start of the year. Uh, you know, Retzelainen's got to become a better defenseman. He's got to be a top one or two defenseman. Him and Darlene should be a a pair of defensemen that rivals any young pair in the NHL. Hopefully, that'll happen next year. But. You know, I, I think again, you got to win. You got to show the the fans out there that you are getting better, and you're close to becoming that perennial playoff team. We're in conversation with Barry Melrose of ESPN. He's in town for the Frozen Four at Key Bank Center. Uh, two games tomorrow: Providence uh, versus Minnesota Duluth, Denver versus UMass, and then the championship game at uh, eight o'clock on Saturday night. Uh, Barry, one last uh, Sabres question before we uh, then turn the focus onto that uh, Frozen Four uh, event here in Buffalo. What do you think the Sabres should do with their coach? What style of coach or maybe even a specific name? I, I think you need a teacher. I think you've got a lot of young players that, that uh, the next few years are going to be paramount in their uh, progression. Uh, so I think you need a coach that, that can do that. Uh, you know, there's some good coaches available. One of the names being mentioned is Todd McClellan, who coached San Jose and Edmonton. And uh, Todd coached young players in both places, and, and they excelled under him. Uh, so, you know, that, that would be a, a good place to start. So I, I, I think he is on the radar right now. But they, they can't make a mistake. They, that's the thing now. Uh, Buffalo's to the point now they can't make mistakes. they got to draft well. Their trades have to work. They have to uh, get the guys that are struggling, uh, start them on the road to recovery and turn them into great players again. Uh, so uh, that's what I think they need. I think they need a teacher, a guy that can teach these young players and, and demand improvement out of them, demand uh, that they do what the system wants and become a team that's very hard to play against. It's a big team, so you shouldn't be, be able to be pushed around physically. Uh, their stars are big uh, and, and fast, and that's what today's NHL is all about. So I, I think they have the, the nucleus, and I think they have the start, but uh, this coach is going to be as, as important a coach as they've ever hired in Buffalo. Barry, uh, your thoughts on the games uh, tomorrow, uh, the two matchups, Providence, uh, Minnesota, Duluth, also Denver versus UMass. So either one of those games get you more excited than the other? Well, the, the UMass game gets me excited because of uh, Kale McCarr. Uh, anyone that doesn't know this kid, uh, he's uh, uh, a guy that's going to be with Colorado as soon as uh, they lose out, whether they win it. And that means he'll probably be there Sunday with Colorado, or if they lose tomorrow, they'll, he'll probably be there Friday playing for Colorado. This kid is awesome. He's a fourth pick overall. He's a defenseman, right-handed defenseman. He's an unbelievable skater. He's probably the best skater in this tournament. 
And uh, if, if you've never seen this guy play before, come out and watch him play. That's, that's the big story, him. Uh, there's some other really good other smaller stories. Uh, obviously, Duluth is going for two in a row. Uh, this is a very good hockey club. Uh, Coach Sandlin is one of the best. Coach Sandlin is an example of a of a guy that would be a, a good coach. This guy has done nothing but win since he coached college hockey. I think if he wins this year, uh, that'll be the third uh, of four appearances uh, for uh, Duluth. And, uh, you know, this is a guy that's uh, developed young players, developed young talent, and knows how to win. So there's a coach that uh, I would seriously take a look at, uh, the coach of Duluth uh, Hockey Club right now. He's an excellent coach. So, But I, I, I think uh, uh, Kale McCarr is, is the guy that you should be uh, watching and, and coming to see because you're going to be seeing him play for the Avalanche in a few days. There's no doubt about that. What about Nate Lehman? Nate Lehman's an excellent coach, too. That's another good choice. You're exactly right. Nate uh, is very similar to Sandlin. He's won wherever he's been. He left uh, Union, went to Providence. They've won a national title since then. He seems to be in the Frozen Four every year. Uh, so uh, Nate Lehman would be an excellent guy to talk to and, and get a beat on him also. There's no doubt about it. And, again, you see, uh, you know, uh, the young coaches going out of college hockey, they're all having pretty good years. You, you look at Montgomery with Dallas. Uh, Dallas is playing good hockey right now. Matter of fact, I, I think Dallas is going to win the first round. Uh, I, I like the way they're playing. And, and uh, he was a young coach in college hockey with Denver. Uh, mm-hmm. Got the job in Dallas and has done a really good job. So Nate Lehman would be another uh, excellent job, an excellent coach to look at and, and determine if he's what you're looking for. There's no doubt about that either. What else should folks know about the Frozen Four, Barry? It's, it's actually been held here in Buffalo before, but whether you're yep. watching it on ESPN or you come out to the game, uh, you, this is an NHL market uh, where fans are used to a certain style of hockey and certainly not used to playoff hockey, so they don't even know that energy. But, college uh, hockey, too, in Buffalo. There's not a college hockey presence here. Well, the, I think not, yeah, not like enough. Boston not literally. Canisius and Niagara, it just doesn't, yeah, right. you don't get the energy. So how would you describe uh, what, what fans will see, whether it be on television or at the arena? Great hockey. I, I think uh, you'll be very surprised how good the play, play is how well coached these guys are, uh, how talented they are. A lot of these guys will be in the NHL eventually or uh, within a year or two. So, you know, you're seeing future NHL players. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I enjoy college hockey. I've done this for many years, me and John Butchigrass. I'm always amazed when I come here. And next year when John and I are doing games on Sports Center, I can guarantee you that some of those guys will be have played in uh, this tournament or the regional tournament. So I, I think that's the main thing that I'll put forward if you're a hockey fan, you know nothing about college hockey, you'll be very surprised how good it is, how talented these kids are, and how much you enjoy it. So uh, you mentioned this is a hockey uh, city. Uh, it's not the NHL, but a lot of these guys will be in the NHL very, very quickly. Barry Melrose of ESPN, I uh, can't thank you enough for coming on the show. As, as I mentioned uh, early, grateful because I know it's a busy day, the day before the uh, event begins, uh, doing a lot of prep work and... Uh, and production meetings. So thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. You guys take care. Thanks, right. Barry. Barry Melrose of ESPN. Frozen Four tomorrow night at Key Bank Center. Providence versus Minnesota Duluth at 5 p.m. Denver versus UMass at 8.30. The winner of each game will face one another in the championship 8 o'clock Saturday night. Uh, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show... We're going to hear from Trevor Krause. Trevor Krause has written a book called Ticketless. 
how sneaking into the Super Bowl and everything else almost held my life together. He's one of those guys who sneaks into events, turns it into an art form. He's done it in Buffalo a handful of times, including one event in which he essentially, for a period of time in between events, lived in a garbage bin until the next event came around and he and a buddy could pop out and... Uh, yeah, so he's done it in Buffalo. He's the Masters this week. Uh, one of his uh, his best stories is how he snuck into the Masters, which is like Fort Knox. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the Tournament of No, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he made it into there. Uh, we're going to hear from Trevor Krause. We're also going to have some Bills talk. We're going to have some UB basketball talk. And I'm sure some more Sabres talk when we come back on the Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, The Tim Graham Show. You're a young athlete. You're brimming with confidence. You're, I don't know if you're single or not. Are you single? On Twitter at 1270. 1270, The Fan. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic here with Mike Rodak, ESPN.com's Buffalo Bills reporter. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Amalgamated. Bobby Rosati producing the show as always. He's only missed one show. Yeah, he's missed the fewest number of shows than anybody who's ever been attached to this show. I think that's the truth, yes. It has to be. I've even missed three or four shows. Right. I would agree. Yeah. Well, it depends on how far back we go. Because if we go back to when we were at the the Buffalo News production, then it would be Mike Rodak, because he wasn't on hardly at all for the first season. Oh, right, right. It was Joe Licata, you see. Well, I was... Eh. It took a little while before you were here on every show. Yeah, we used to promo you. Crooked Rodak. Crooked Rodak. Rodak. Your Nate Oates impersonation is not good. (laughs) I need to call in one of these days. He sounds like Luke Walton. Call from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Dude, you think he's going to pick up a southern accent on top of it? You know, I've looked into it myself. Like, do you pick up an accent where do you like, where you live? Where do I go to? Of course I, you do. You from, do, I think, over time. See, what, what I've Googled, they say no. They say that your accent <laughs> is determined. What did you Google? They, what, did you, it's what did you type into the Google search type, where Do you can pick I go? up an accent when you move? Okay. And they did say they that, tell you the store to go to? To pick one up? No. Um, Piggly Wiggly. That, that actually is a store in Alabama. I know. I'm aware of that. That's why I said it. Right. But no, they say that your accent is determined within your first year of life from listening to your parents or whoever else might be around. I don't think that's 100% true because I know a lot of people who've picked up accents or people who lose accents. I'm just saying what I read. I found it on the Google. All right, then. Sorry, Russ Brandon is not available. But I would love to hear a conversation between Nate Oates and Ed Orgeron. Good. How would that well, go? I hope you get that someday. Matt Orgeron, Louisiana State University. Hey, I'm Nate Oates, University of Alabama. They sound alike. You can't convince me otherwise. 
and yet I'm not interested. Those guys don't sound anything like that. Yeah. I think I probably sound more like more like Grover. I'm telling you, the first time to come off a bender. The first time I ever heard Nate Oates, after just seeing his face and seeing him, his voice did not fit his body. And maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but his voice is deeper than what you'd expect. Chris Baker's in studio. He's uh, of at Sabres Prospects fame. Yeah, I'm here when you guys sit in the show. <laughs> I'm the junkyard dog. <laughs> another, another great young man from Destrehan, Louisiana. Hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. Close. You were close, Rodney. Stop the ball. Uh, Stop the drill. On a scrimmage, we wanted to get bigger. All right, let's get back to our discussion from the first hour where we dipped our toe into the Pagula's needing to hire sports executives above their general managers as some sort of layer in between the Pagula's and Brandon Bean slash the Pagula's and Jason Bottrell. I don't think they need these people, and there are folks in this town who've been soapboxing for the last couple of weeks that it's mandatory, and how dare the Pagulas think that they can run sports teams without help. My point is, they did get help. They hired Jason Bottrell and Brandon Bean, Mm -hmm. and that's their job to do it. They don't need people, more people involved in muddling a direction if jason bottrell's the guy who's going to set the course for this organization then fine then let him do it hiring a hockey president what does that do no all it does if you bring someone in and first of all i hate the term hockey czar i just don't like that term okay And I think it it sets really strange expectations. Oh, I think what it does is the reason people use that phrase, uh, uh, Bill Parcells was the football czar of the Miami Dolphins back when I covered the Dolphins. Uh, I always called him just football boss. Czar has a weird connotation. Well, czar is in charge. Like that is one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am the guy in charge, and everybody else works for me. You think of like the Russian Empire, and that's the point. Totalitarian and dictators, but I think of like murderous dictators. I I don't know if Pat LaFontaine was murderous, or if Bill Polian was going to be hired as the football czar for the Bills, that he would be. You know, murderous. No, but but the whole point I mean, is, though, it's like if, if they hired... I guess hired, we'll never know. If they hired a lair, I don't think that it would be for the Pagulas as much as it would be just more think tank for Jason Botterill to bounce hockey ideas off of. But the problem is, with that theory, is that Jason Botterill has two assistant general managers. Right. That's, that's what they're there for. Yes. Okay, so I'm with you. And, like, you only bring in another layer if there's someone out there worthy of that role that you just can't function as a business or a hockey ops department without having that guy around. You don't need one just to have a position and have a layer. That's just, it's just foolish. It's not good use of business structure. So I don't think it's necessary. Here's something I want to emphasize when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. Did Doug Whaley need a football czar? Probably. (laughs) Probably Doug Whaley did. Yeah, the football czar would have hired or would have fired him. Right. We have, uh, did Russ Brandon, when he was the general manager, although he was the president, 
I mean, who was the general manager? Uh, Buddy Nix need a football czar? I don't know, maybe. Probably, because Buddy Nix didn't want to be troubled with all the stuff that general managers had to do aside from scouting. Buddy Nix wanted to be in charge of the roster and the college aspect of it and the draft, but when it came to, you know, contract negotiation and all that stuff and roster salary cap. He just cared about finding players with some want to. Yeah, that's right. They needed to want to. But here's the thing with Brandon Bean. This is why you don't need a football czar in Buffalo. He has guys on his staff that other teams actually want and who've held these jobs with other teams. And we've talked about it on the show before. Uh, Doug Whaley's assistant. Jim Monas? Jim Monas, who's out of football. He's tweeting restaurant recommendations. Yeah, he's not even in the game anymore. <laughs> Buddy Nix, out of the game. All the people who are kind of on Buddy Nix's staff as assistants, out of the game. Doug Re- Whaley's barely in the game. He's with the are. XFL. <laughs> Brandon Bean has Joe Shane, who's been wanted by other organizations. Interviewed or has been on the list interview, I think, with the Colts and the Dolphins. Malik Boyd, the director of pro personnel, has interviewed for general manager jobs. Terrence Gray, the director of college scouting, has interviewed for general manager jobs. Dan Morgan, director of player personnel, believed to be a future general manager in the NFL. Lake Dawson, former vice president of football operations for the Tennessee Titans. That's a, and, and they lost Brian Gain. And they lost Who Marvin became Allen. a general manager <laughs> of another team. Well, he's down with the Houston Texans. Marvin Allen, who was their national scout last year, is now the assistant GM, I believe, yeah. for the Dolphins. You know what that sounds like? Brandon Bean has built a nice little group that Coaching would trait. qualify him as kind of the football czar. I don't need somebody in between Brandon Bean and the Pagolas. He's doing his job. And Jason point, Bottrell, is Jason Bottrell doing his job? Maybe not, but he said this is the job he was hired to do. Yeah. You've got to give him time to do it. You mentioned the two assistant general managers, just to name names. Randy Sexton, who also handles the Rochester Americans, and mm-hmm. uh, Steve Greeley. But, who has interviewed for open GM positions in the past. Yeah, so, okay. <clears throat> Let them do the jobs. There's they're, enough they're, the, they're the czars. Sorry to keep using that word you don't like, but I'm doing it to hammer the point. Yes. I'll accept it. So to sit there and say, oh, well, the Pagulas cannot be trusted to handle Jason Bottrell's advice or recommendations. Somebody else needs to do that for him. What do they, they got to translate it? Is there some sort of hockey jargon that the Pagulas just don't understand if Jason Bottrell wants to walk into the boardroom and say, this is the guy we should hire as our head coach, and Kim and Terry Pagula are going to look at each other and tilt their heads like puppies? Uh, who are being you know, like and say what is it? What is a hockey? Well, the same logic would apply to their czar. I mean, they still have to trust that person. So, exactly. just who are you trusting? Also, silly. If there's any team of, well, I was gonna say the two, but really they own more than that. They own the Bandits and other teams. But if there's any sport that the Pagulas should be most trusted to understand, it is hockey. I mean, that's Terry Pagulas. Passion. I mean, I don't know if football is really on the same level for him as as hockey, based on what I know. I don't know if you've heard the same, but uh, I think I that, think Terry Pagula probably knows more about hockey than he does about football. So if there's any team where he can have that direct communication, it's probably the Sabers. And I think what we're looking at too is ownership and people. I don't know. There's this concept or this. I think this belief out there. And disagree with me if people that you've talked to, whether it be in hockey or as fans or whatever, but. There's, this, there's kind of this belief that the Pagulas are meddlesome. I, don't, I think they I don't are think like hands-off. They're right. like, go do what you're supposed to do. They're marketers. 
Yeah. You know, they're marketers. and If anything, I think the criticism is that they were too distant, that they were living in Boca Raton and in some cases allowing things to happen up here that obviously have come to light recently. And I think that's been rectified to some extent. They bought a house in East Aurora here, and they're living here. But they did say at the owners' meetings, or at least Kim did, that they still they don't intend to be around anymore because right. of what's been going on. And a lot of, and almost, well, there's been, it's happened on with both the Bills and the Sabres. Mm-hmm. You know, this, you know, the uh, the sexual harassment stuff and uh, unprofessional workplace work, conduct. Workplace con- exactly. But... That's also been people who were there before the Pagulas bought the team. And some of these are vestiges of the Ralph Wilson absentee ownership and letting people do whatever it was they wanted to do while Ralph was back in Detroit. Right. Or after Ralph had passed and the team didn't have any owner for a bunch of months. There were people there just trying to protect their own interests. And, hey, uh, I like that I have this company credit card. And I'm going to protect whatever it is that I do, and I'm going to hide these things and that things, and I'm going to do this off to the side. And um, yeah, does that is, might that happen while the Pagulas are living down in uh, South Florida? Uh, yeah, I guess maybe. But this comes down to where they hire people who they trust, and they're weeding out those who were loyal to either a previous owner or themselves, generally themselves. They were just looking out for protecting their jobs. I think there are a lot of people with PSE who are embarrassed by what's happened. I think I do get a sense that they do want to correct those things, and it's very important to them that they don't have this reputation as uh, uh, frat Delta, yeah, Delta Tau uh, over right. there. At uh, I mean, their executive team has been pared down. I mean, there's very few people on an executive level, who remain. And as I talked to with Kim Pagula during the Q&A that I did for The Athletic, as she's coming to the realization that there was a lot of redundancy, that just because you have two sports teams doesn't mean you need two identical staffs. There are right. people who can do b- oversight uh, of both things at the Shared same time. Shared services. Yeah, so I think that that's, that's good. I think that the yeah. Pagulas are learning. And people are saying, oh, they're learning on the job. Well, sorry. Mm-hmm. That's what happens with owners. If you th- you can't pick your owner, right. but you can't just go out there and interview billionaires and say, you know what, we're going to pick you to buy our team. There, it happens with every sports team. Would Robert Kraft have, went through this. Right. Would you rather have Maple Leaf Sports running the team? And, you know, they're experienced. They run a couple teams in Toronto. Would you rather have that or this? And you're right. Robert Kraft made mistakes. I mean, to Parcells and then Pete Carroll and... Third trial, third time was a charm for them. But to your point, Tim, about redundancy and all these things that Kim has learned about the organization is that it's still on the business side. It's not on the football department side. It's not on the hockey yeah, department side. Yeah, is it side. affecting your... She's not meddling. Yeah. And Terry certainly isn't meddling. He's not. Right. He's passionate. He wants to win. But he's not telling Jason Botterill. Jason, yeah, because you know, I'm going to go hang out with him after. Botterill, who to hire as Botsy. the next coach. Yeah, Botsy Weber. But you know what I'm saying? Like they're not like I, I I've never heard that they've been having their you know they're they're touching every decision uh, from a hockey personnel perspective. They put a lot of trust into their guys that they hired, and um, yeah, to just put a bow on it, the the czar thing is just not necessary at this juncture. And I don't I, I don't see because again I I say this juncture because unless like Steve Eiserman, who built Tampa Bay built that organization, really restructured it, and really put a, a really good 
organization top to bottom in place development, player development, NHL roster. If he wanted to come here and say, I want to work with Jason, Botterill. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like, I want to be part of that think tank and build a winner here in Buffalo. That might be the exception that you make because he could be that guy where you make room for someone like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't just create a title and say, I'm going to like hire Like the one. Leafs did with Lou Lamorello. Mm-hmm. When there happens to be this guy, this genius on the street, and he's looking mm-hmm. for some place to work for a little bit until he finds his next move. Hell yeah, come over to the mm-hmm. Leafs. That's exactly what Brandon Bean did with Brian Gain. He knew that Brian Gain was going to be an NFL general manager in short order. In fact, Brian Gain interviewed for the Bills job that Brandon Bean got. And so people were wondering, why would you bring in the guy who, who lost the job to you? I mean, do you think he might stab you in the back? No, Brandon Bean's like, I want football minds here. Let's get him in here, and I know you're only going to be here for a little bit. And we're going to feed off each other for as long as we can do it. I think Which Bottero, is what the Leafs yeah. did with Lamorello. Totally. And I think that Bottero would be open to a, an Iserman type coming here. Sure. He, Bottero came from a really successful organization in Pittsburgh. Iserman came from Detroit, really, as a player, one of the class organizations. Success. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just think that he would see, and, and he's a young guy in his career. Bottero's in his early oh, yeah. 40s, young yeah. guy. He's a cap guy, numbers yeah. guy. He would learn so much just from being around an Iceman. I think he would kind of see the big picture with his career and what it meant. He wouldn't be threatened by a guy like well, that. Well, he is a czar, Iserman. He's been successful in everything in hockey he's done. Yeah, but Dean Lombardi, just for the sake of having one? No. No. Yeah, if you just happen to get a guy who, uh, you know, is of Steve Eiserman's ilk. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. Okay, yes. Yeah. You can count him on less than one hand. Yes. Really? And uh, for a couple of years. Hmm? All right. When we come back, we're going to have Trevor Krause. He wrote the book Ticketless, How Sneaking into the Super Bowl and Everything Else Almost Held My Life Together. He has some great Buffalo stories that he's going to share with us about him sneaking into some events, uh, NCAA tournament, uh, the World Juniors. Also got into the Masters, which is a great story to tell, uh, which is a place you can't sneak into. Uh, He's going to talk about uh, his life, how he got into this, why he does it, and uh, great stuff uh, from his book uh, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. We'll try to get you in, Jonah. We'll try to get you some minutes. I'll be here. (laughs) Ready to go. Bobby Rosati furiously diddling over there. That was a rough break for you. What happened during that commercial break? I had to go talk to somebody that works here and figure something out, and then my computer was frozen. It's just its always something. And our next guest is calling in from Spain. Yeah. I'm really excited about this guest. Right. Trevor Krause wrote the book Ticketless, How Sneaking Into the Super Bowl and Everything Else Almost Held My Life Together. He's been sneaking into events for a while now, and a couple of them in Buffalo... And he also tells a great story about sneaking into the Masters. I don't want to give away too much because I want people to go buy the book, which is available on Amazon.com. Trevor, thanks for joining us all the way from Spain. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure to to be with you, Tim. Uh, Yeah, I live in Spain now. I teach English here. Uh, And to answer, answer the first question, maybe, no, I don't sneak into games here because the security uh, at soccer matches here in Europe is just on another level. I mean, even more than, than the Super Bowl, which I snuck into in Indianapolis, the security here is, is out of this world. What makes it so much more stringent and uh, not worth trying? Well, to start with, I'm not a fan of 
any of the any of the soccer teams here. Uh, and and so you do have a spin move code, which we will get into. The spin move code is the <laughs> criteria in which it will determine whether or not Trevor actually risks sneaking into an event. And we'll we'll get into that in, in a little bit. So, and one of the criteria is you have to want to go. <laughs> so you don't go just for the sake of doing it, and you're not into soccer. No, exactly. That's a big part of it. That's I, I feel very strongly about it, uh, about not doing it just to do it, because it would lose it would lose the thrill that way. But the security here, I mean, there are turnstiles which are automated, so only if you scan a valid ticket will they unlock. And right behind the turnstiles, standing uh, security guards. Um, so it it just really would be. I could do it. I'm confident in myself to to think that I could do it, but the risk-reward is just not there. Understood. So which is more difficult, uh, or I guess I say, how would you describe the differences between the Super Bowl, which you said was the one in Indianapolis, uh, or Augusta? Because they both seem pretty tough to get into. Yeah, that's true. The Super Bowl uh, was in Indianapolis. This is the second time that the Giants beat the Patriots in 2012. And um, both times, those were probably the two toughest spin moves, the two toughest sneaks. And so both times, what set those apart is that I had a fake ticket um, or something to, to at least make it look like I belonged, like I actually had a ticket. At the Super Bowl, the ticket incredibly scanned. Uh, I had um, basically downloaded a, an image that I had found online and and photoshopped it a bit, me past the first layer of security, at which point I was planning on just running in past the past the, t- the ticket taker and trying to get lost in the crowd like I usually do. But the ticket scanned uh, incredibly. So um, that was that story still boggles my mind. I don't know how it scanned, and I don't know how the person whose ticket I had found and, and photoshopped she also got into the stadium. I went and I followed up with her after the fact, uh, and she didn't have any problems. So I felt, I felt relieved on one hand um, and thrilled to have gotten in. But at Augusta, my, my, my fake ticket was terrible. I mean, it looked nothing like the real thing. But even so, it was enough to get past the first ticket check, which was basically just a, a temporary security guard, a rent-a-cop, if you will, uh, who was just doing a very cursory look at people's badges, at people's tickets. Uh, and then and once I got to the actual ticket taker, it was clear sailing because there wasn't a real turnstile there. And a golf course is so big, there's so much room to run, that uh, I, I felt pretty safe once I got past that first layer. But there's no running allowed at Augusta. <laughs> You're not allowed to run. That is true. That is true, and I broke that rule uh, for the first for maybe 30 seconds or so until I got into a big crowd, and then enough people were yelling at me because everyone's trying to get their, get to the 18th green or to the 12th tee or what have you to set up their chairs for the day. So they, they thought I was trying to you know, get a prime location on the course. So eventually I felt safe enough, lost in a crowd, and I had taken off my outer shirt, and I had a different color shirt on underneath. I felt safe enough that I could stop running and, eased to a quick walk. 
We're in conversation with Trevor Krause, author of Ticket List, How Sneaking into the Super Bowl and Everything Else Almost Held My Life Together. And uh, you've mentioned a couple uh, of, of the at the top of the, the mountain. Now, Buffalo, a little bit lesser uh, events, the NCAA tournament uh, in 2010, and also the World Juniors gold medal game bef- uh, between Canada and Russia in 2011. But tell us about the garbage bin at uh, what would have been then first Niagara Center uh, to, to, uh, for the purpose of watching a college basketball game. So that one I'll always have a special place in my heart for because it was the first time that I had really snuck into a game. The first chapter, you know, my book begins when I was 13. I snuck into Wrigley Field with my dad and brother, but that was really more my dad's doing. That was his idea. But I got to college, went to the University of Missouri, uh, and they were playing in Buffalo in 2010. But I've also been a, a Gonzaga fan for, for my entire life, pretty much. And they were playing in the evening session. So Mizzou played and won, uh, but tickets for the evening session with Gonzaga were much more expensive. Syracuse was the one seed that year. You know, it's a short drive, of course. Uh, so a lot of demand for tickets. My friend and I, after Mizzou won, we go up to the, to the top floor of, of the arena, and we're looking for a place to hide. Because as I knew from my time as a ticket taker and usher myself, in St. Louis, where the Blues play at, uh, at Scott Trade Center, I knew that they would not have a lot of time to search the arena, and I knew there would not be a big security presence. So my friend and I, underneath a section, I think it was section 327, I have a picture of it, and took one afterward. Section 327, there was this black curtain, which we removed, uh, and there's this garbage bin. And now, it was not as disgusting as you might think. I mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't pretty by any means, but we were kind of running out of time. You know, the building had emptied very quickly. We jumped in there and uh, closed the curtain, and for about 45 minutes we sat there just killing time until we heard uh, someone say, hey, get that garbage bin for me. We didn't know who this was, but we jumped out and we ran in the other direction, and, uh, and fans had started coming in for the second session of games, and we blended into that crowd, mostly Syracuse fans, and, uh, and we got to see Gonzaga play Florida State, and, uh, and Syracuse play Vermont. <laughs> That's all. So, Trevor, I have a question, I guess, because I'm interested in this whole thing that you got going on. This is awesome. But you mentioned you were 13 years old the first time you snuck into a sporting event. And you obviously have made kind of a, a hobby out of this. Where did the book come into play? Did you do this a couple times and you decided to write a book based on your success doing this? Or did you always have an idea that you wanted to write a book based on your ability to sneak into sporting events? Well, it was more toward the end of my quote-unquote career that uh, I had gathered enough stories and enough friends of mine told me, hey, you got to write a book. It was more toward the end that I, that I really sat down to start writing. But to tell the truth, um, it, the book was very cathartic for me because it's about so much more than just sneaking into sporting events. It, the subtitle is How Sneaking into the Super Bowl and Everything Else Almost Held My Life Together. Uh, my dad was a huge, huge figure in my life, uh, and, that, and the inspiration 
for the for the spin move. Uh, and I always saw a lot of myself in him. And toward toward the end of my uh, college days, toward the end of my career, he really spiraled out of control. And so for a long time, I saw that same future for me. You know, he was he had clinical depression, and uh, he wound up in a, uh, in a car accident, and he died when I was in college. So that was a, a really tough thing mm. for me. In addition to the fact that spin moving was made me feel like I was I was worth something during college when uh, I had no. <laughs> I mean, just a long, long record of romantic bad luck and felt that, you know, I would be alone forever. But when I would spin move, when I would sneak into games uh, with with friends usually, uh, I, I felt like I was on top of the world. So that's that's really where the book came. It's a lot about the, the, the sports fandom and sneaking into games, but it's a lot about my own personal connection to to sneaking into games. And was there an element, or uh, how would you say that the spin moving, which is your phrase that you use for sneaking into the event, and you mentioned earlier in the interview that the first event that you ever got into was with your father uh, at Wrigley Field. The spin move, I'm sure, brings an awful lot of exhilaration because there is something on the line. You could get in trouble. You could get arrested. Uh, you could get, uh, whether it be a fine or maybe even tossed in in, in a, a holding cell for a little while, uh, blacklisted, any kinds of things that you uh, are triumphing over. But what was the element to feeling close to your father? Well, that was just his his personality. You know, he was the kind of guy who uh, he could always finagle a free dessert at a restaurant. You know, he could always uh, sneak us up in a in a long line, you know, the the chat and cut, you see a friend and just kind of stand stand in line far ahead of where you should be. Um, and so I saw, like I said, I saw a lot of myself in him. Uh, by the time that I really got into spin moving, he wasn't, he wasn't psychologically healthy enough to really understand what I was doing. But I know that, and this is uh, a chapter toward the end of the book, the World Series Game 7 in St. Louis, shortly after he died, um, I know he would have been proud, not just of, of my sneaking into games, but more so of the relationship that, uh, that developed between me and my brother. You know, we uh, did quite a few spin moves together, quite a few sneaks, and, uh, and those are some of our greatest and most cherished memories. So I know that, if nothing else, my father would be proud that it forged a, such a strong connection between his two sons. Were there ever, ever any reservations about sharing this information and, and potentially facing uh, legal repercussions? No, because uh, the statute of limitations has passed, I'm pretty sure. The biggest thing would be and the Super Bowl. And you're in Spain. I don't think anybody's going to extradite uh, for sneaking into <laughs> exactly. the uh, NCAA That's... tournament in Buffalo <laughs> six years ago. It's mostly a coincidence that I live here and have lived here since the book has been out. It's mostly a coincidence, but not entirely. Um, but to be honest with you, I mean, if they were to come, if they wanted to extradite me or the next time I go home and visit my family, if 
they want to come arrest me, I couldn't think of anything better for <laughs> for the book's success. <laughs> I think that would be great. So, I mean, that would sell that would sell some copies for sure. So, um, I'm not concerned about that at all. Uh, I the soup the Super Bowl kind of involves more of a forgery, a counterfeit, but that was so long ago. That's more than, I mean, gosh, that's six years, seven years ago now. Um, I'm not, I'm not concerned about it, and my career is coming to an end, so um, I don't see myself sneaking to too many games in the future unless the circumstances are absolutely perfect. So say you were going to do one more last hurrah. Yeah, what's on, what's coming, the bucket list? Yeah, he just said coming to an end, which seems yeah. to portend that he's got something in the works. And if you don't want to give it away, that's that's cool. I get it. But I'm just kind of curious, like, what would it be? Well, it would have to be an event where the the, the emotion, the sentiment in the, in the stands would be so powerful that I, I just had to be there. Uh, the, last, the last spin move was the NLCS in 2016 when the Cubs clinched the pennant for the first time mm-hmm. in 71 years. Full circle. So something along those, something, yeah, exactly. Uh, something along those lines, for example, if, uh, if the Buffalo Bills were to host an AFC championship game, uh, I mean, can you imagine how loud that crowd would be, would be? How, how emotional they would be? Um, or, you know, for a, the for Cleveland a hockey Browns game. I, the, the, in a the similar Browns, situation. Exactly. Exactly. Something, something along those lines. You know, um, I'm a big, big Blues fan. Uh, so if they were to reach, I've got, hope, I've got high hopes for, for this year's playoff run. If they were to reach the Stanley Cup final, I mean, or, or a clinching game in the Western Conference final, Something, some event with that kind of powerful emotion where, you know, the fans would be loud and rowdy, the environment would be incredible, but there would also be some longing beneath it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, those are the kinds of environments that, that I want to experience, more so than the Super Bowl and the NCAA tournament. As great as they are, those are more corporate, kind of sterilized environments that aren't as rowdy and aren't as diehard as I would like. Yeah, you've already climbed those mountains too. So, yeah. <laughs> What's the most amount of trouble you've ever gotten into for sneaking into a an event, uh, Trevor? Well, at a it was actually a Blues uh, a Blues Sabers game uh, in St. Louis. Uh, this was in 2012, sold out Saturday night. I went with my friend from Buffalo, who uh, who attended the University of Missouri with me. And uh, tickets were sold out. My brother, uh, my brother had two tickets, but we were three people: my my friend from Buffalo, uh, myself, and my brother. Um, and so, instead of buying a third ticket, I just said to my brother and my friend, "Go in and uh, go around to section 108. You know, it's over to the left, and open this exit-only door that no one is is usually guarding, and I'll I'll slip in." And, uh, and we'll be in. Well, that happens, except when we turn around, by an amazing coincidence, there's a security guard right there. And uh, he forces us to go outside of the building and confiscates the ticket that my buddy had. So we 
wait until you know the first period has started, and uh, and we bought tickets from a scalper for half price or whatever, and uh, we run into the same security guard, and he recognized us, of course, uh, and we say, no, no, we've got legitimate tickets. This time we we bought tickets, and he still insists on bringing us to this holding area, uh, this police room underneath the. Uh, underneath the arena and we talked to a security supervisor we explained the situation and uh, the security supervisor said okay we're not gonna involve the police in this matter as long as you go out and don't try to re-enter for a third time and uh, and we agreed to that even though frankly we had legal tickets that second time around so that's as close as as I've come to any serious repercussions tolerable that's that's okay yeah, that's, that's, that's give, given all that you've gotten away with i think that that's that's uh that's pretty pretty cushy i felt i felt worse for for my buddy than anything because you know this was my this is my thing and uh i didn't i didn't have i didn't have every angle well thought out or not as well as i should have and here he gets you know one, two chances a year to see the Sabres come to St. Louis, and uh, and I blew it for him. But uh, we caught the the rest of the game at a bar, and uh, and and all was good. We were just happy not to have wound up in jail. Well, by the book, because there are some harrowing uh, stories in here and some great sports events. Uh, the year that you snuck into the Masters, uh, Bubba Watson wins it. Uh, the Canada-Russia game and the World Juniors, of course, was a classic. That was the gold medal game in 2011, uh, downtown Buffalo here, uh, Super Bowls, uh, uh, a lot of lot of classic baseball games. So, uh, Trevor Kraus, thanks for joining us from Spain and uh, talking to us about tickets. Uh, let me spit this out in, in a smooth way so that way people can actually maybe remember it and not be gagging over it. <laughs> Ticketless. How sneaking into the Super Bowl and everything else almost held my life together. And there's a poignant tale in here to be told, too, about a father and a son. And it's more than just uh, uh, just diversionary tactics and, uh, and a hobby, and a strange hobby. There's, uh, it's, it goes way deeper than that. Uh, Trevor Krause, uh, thank you for joining us on the Tim Graham Show. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care there, Trevor. Uh, enjoy. Well, what time would it be in Spain? I mean, asking that. It's got to be like, like five or six hours. Probably about midnight. Good times. All right, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up. We're going to talk a little bit more. You know what? Let's give Jonah something. Let's throw Jonah a bone. Who? Jonah, what do you want to talk about in the last segment? WNBA draft preview. Okay. Tonight, you know. WNBA draft preview. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. So you're telling me there's a chance. On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. 
inform, and to provoke thought. What happens if you flick it? On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. Buffalo, New York. Taking your calls at 270-1270. I mean, didn't you ever run so fast you thought your legs were going to fall off? You know, like when you were like running toward the swings or running away from Satan? It's just some good old-fashioned American girl-on-girl act. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. K-Flay, she's up my alley. Live. Good stuff. She was just in Buffalo like a year ago. What about Flavor Well, Bentley from 103.3 The Edge. I think she went to the show. Yeah, I think they were giving out some tickets even here. Yeah, with uh, Imagine Dragons. She toured with, I believe. I believe. I might be wrong. I would have gone to that show. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic here with Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein LLC. Chris Baker's been in studio with us the entire run. I wanted to bring something up for Mike Rodak's benefit. According to the Boston Globe, the New England Patriots are going to add some male cheerleaders this year. Uh... (laughs) This seems to be maybe the thing that gets you to move back to Boston. People have been begging you to move back to Boston. Is this the? Is this what's going to make it happen? The Tampa Bay Bucks are also adding male cheerleaders, so there's options out there. If that's uh, something you want to do, I can't say that's up my alley. Maybe it's up yours. I just you're the one who's the Patriots fan. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Jonah, WNBA draft is tonight. People yeah, might excited? people want to know, but people want to know if Sierra Dillard has any uh, chance of being called. Now she was one of the greatest players in women's basketball this year, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the WNBA. So what's your no, what's your she, breakdown? From what I understand and believe, you know, I don't follow the National Women's College Basketball close enough to really know all the players, but she's going to get drafted. She's pretty much on every mock draft as a second or third round pick. It's a three-round draft with 12 teams. So, you you know, you could be the 13th pick, and that's the second round. She started most of the mock drafts I started looking at a couple weeks ago in the third round and been kind of bumped up to the second round, as we know with the NFL. Sometimes mock drafts are reported mock drafts, like you're hearing from scouts. That's what's going to happen. And sometimes it's just people watching their own tape and making their own determinations. But being an honorable mention All-American, the nation's second-leading scorer, the only player in men's or women's college basketball to average 25 points, five rebounds, five assists. You know, one of four finalists for the Dawn Staley Award, the top guard in college basketball. I think she's going to get drafted. And this isn't quite like the NBA draft where freshmen and younger players get drafted more on potential. Most of the – in the WNBA draft, they're the best college players – become the high draft picks and the best WNBA players. Pretty much how the NBA draft was for a while and has morphed more into being a prospects draft. How does the WNBA skew size versus playmaking ability relative to college basketball? Meaning, do you have to have a size component or will... Because... The WNBA is a little is a little more distilled in terms of its talent because there aren't as many teams. So 
when you have the you know the the top one percent in terms of size and maybe you can't just spread around playmakers as much does that make sense the my question talking about height yeah yeah i think it it matters a lot for the centers and the forwards and the interior players but you will see very short guards which in the nba you can be too short to even play point guard or one of the shorter positions and I think size and arm length and things like that can give a big guard an advantage in women's college basketball or women's basketball, but it doesn't seem to be as much of a deal breaker as it can be in the men's game. If you can play, if you can shoot, if you can you know, get to the basket, you're not going to not be out there because you're too short. Although I've seen with the local college teams where defensively really short guards can be an issue, but it doesn't seem to be. And Sierra Dillard, another thing about women's basketball, men's basketball as well, but in women's basketball, strength tends to matter a lot. I cover games where the best player on the floor isn't always the most talented, the most skilled player, but the most aggressive and the strongest player. And Sierra Dillard combines being very skilled and talented with a lot of strength in her upper body and just the way she plays. And I think that's why that would makes her more of a pro than some of the other great guards that have played. You know, there's never been a big four-player drafted in the WNBA before. I'm pretty sure there hasn't. There's been three MAC players. I don't think there's ever been a player from Buffalo. A couple players from Rochester. So this is uncommon for a local player playing at a local college to be in this kind of position. Who's number one? Well, the girl that was supposed to go number one, the Oregon point guard, drawing a blank on how to pronounce her name, pulled out of the draft. So let me just get this. I'll just pop a mock draft up here right now. What about the? Uh... The Notre Dame. Jackie Young, Notre Dame shooting guard, number okay. one pick for this mock draft. What about Notre Dame who hit the game winner last year and then missed the free throws this year? She's in there in the mix. I think she'll be picked high. Mm-hmm. You want to pronounce her name for me, Mike? No, no. I, I, uh, 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 maybe I can. Yeah, just like. Can you do like it when in, you uh, nail Orgeron's voice? Like Ogumbawale. when you nail Tongue of Aloha. Candy? I keep hearing Michael Aloha Candy. That's one thing. We've talked about this, Tim. Radio, Christian Fuamatu Afala. Oh, there you go. Radio's easier than writing, I think, in a lot of ways. But the one thing I like in writing, you never have to learn how to pronounce anybody's <laughs> name if you don't want to. <laughs> that's a fact. You can pronounce it wrong your whole life, and yeah. that's not an issue. Right. All right, so uh, uni- uh, University at Buffalo men's team hired a coach since we were last on the air. Jonah, your thoughts on White Cell getting the job? Well, you know, when the news broke that Nate Oates was leaving, we were on the air here. Me and Bobby, Mark Bortz came in. We talked a lot about Jim Weitzel being a, a good candidate. We had mentioned how Joe Mahalik was on the show, Mike McDonald was on the show, talking about how much they respected Jim Weitzel. He's very experienced as a coach, right. nine seasons at Loyola Chicago, 15 seasons before that, Division Two, Division Three, assisted under Rick Majerus at St. Louis, under Steve Lavin at St. John's. So he's as experienced of a candidate as really UB has ever had. Some of the fans were unexcited about the move, maybe just looking at his record, two games above 500 in his time at Loyola. Didn't get a lot of credit, wasn't considered the recruiter like Brian Hodgson was. A lot of people wanted him to get the job because that would save the recruiting class. But very popular with the players. It looks like at this point nobody's transferring out, which I think is a huge win for UB to go through a coaching change like that and not lose any of the current players. They have the entire recruiting class is decommitted. Really no signs that any of those guys are going to recommit. They could, but it's starting to look like they won't if they haven't already. How much does that set back the team, the program? I don't think it really sets back the team very much at all. I mean, they, they, now they have open scholarships. they got to fill them with other good players. 
they're actually earlier in the recruiting calendar than they were when Nate Oates took over four years ago. And if you look at the players they signed, including C.J. Massenburg, they all came in late April, May, later on in the recruiting calendar. So they can still get good players. The question is just whether without Brian Hodgson, without Nate Oates, if this staff can recruit as well as they used to or well enough. And a lot of that depends on the assistance that Jim Whitesell brings in. Good chats today, boys. Thanks to Jonah Bronstein for closing the show. Yeah, we hmm? Still got a couple minutes, right? I mean, yeah. No, no. we don't. Oh, okay. we're done? Is All right. Syracuse playing tonight? No, we don't. Chris Baker, no. I have to get to Channel 4 for a mock draft special. Uh, I'm going to have to get out of this sweater and actually put on a suit. I shaved for this. You I have to, to be shave. Mel Kuyper Jr. Channel Four, and... Channel Four's news director has a no beard policy, so I had to shave my beard to be on this show. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but you're not. Oh, because you're going to be a host. Because I'm going to be on the television. So you're not allowed to. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. You're not the I'm New sure York. It's... They're not the New York Yankees. They're the New York Yankees of local <laughs> sports. I know. I don't know. I, I just couldn't come up with a good. They're the New York Yankees. That should be their tagline. Yes. I'm going to spin move through like in through the kitchen if we go out later. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some through the crazy kitchen. unusual. Yeah. I thought you said you're gonna spin move into the channel four studio and I might do that too. Go on air. Listen, ninja. Don't wear a beer. Don't wear a fake beer. That's how you get in. No, no you obviously don't work here. But thank you, Tim, for, for having me today. It was a Chris Baker was here guys. for the full two hours and added quite a bit to the discourse. Always great to have you in, Chris. Uh, beers on me later. And uh, to Mike Rodak for coming back. He was gone for a couple of weeks. Now look at him, and you're going to be gone next week again, right? Uh, two weeks. In two weeks. Okay, so we get you. Day before present. the draft. Jonah Bronstein is in. Bobby Rosati producing the show, did a great job handling the calls. My thanks to Barry Melrose of ESPN for coming on the show to talk about the Frozen Four and the Sabres coaching search. And to Trevor Krause, author of Ticketless, How Sneaking Into the Super Bowl and Everything Else Almost Held My Life Together. Uh, we'll catch you next Wednesday at 4 p.m. here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.